0: or be nowhere the savage nation podcast catch the michael savage podcast on all podcast platforms every tuesday and every friday
1: Sorry, but this guy is more important and probably just as powerful as he ever was, Barack Obama. A couple of things I've learned about him. Number one, he is running the country. Number two, he has disdain for white people as a group. And also, he's still struggling after all of these years with his own racial identity. A lot of this is in his book, his latest about himself, of course, A Promised Land, and it's all there. He has wondered, am I black enough? Others in the black community have wondered about him. Is he black enough? It's in the book. Everyone, take a look. Obama's an outsider. He's backed by white folks. He's a Harvard elitist. And that name, is he even black? These are questions he got in the community all the time. Moving on. Those voices within the black community arguing that I wasn't ready or I was too radical or too mainstream or not quite black enough. Of course, he had a white mother, and for some in that community, he was viewed with suspicion. When he ran for office, this came up back in the 90s, and when he tried again for Congress in the year 2000. Now, when we first started noticing them across the country on the national stage, nobody really knew about this stuff. Everybody just fell in love with the guy because, well, he was a dynamic man, great speaker. And for a while, it seemed like he was not afraid to say things that a lot of people knew, but were afraid to say, especially about the status of the black family and what was happening in that community.
2: Too many fathers are MIA. Too many fathers are AWOL. You and I know this is true everywhere, but nowhere is it more true than in the African American community. We know the statistics that children who grow up with a fa- out of father are five times more likely to live in poverty. And commit crime. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in prison.
1: This was powerful stuff, and very few of any race willing to say this out loud. But he got nailed for it, primarily from the left and from very prominent black politicians like Jesse Jackson. Lots of headlines. Again, whenever he talked in really candid, forthright ways about what was happening in the black community, he got beat. How the Obama administration talks to black America. Folks did not like this on the left. Obama pressed on how he talks to the black community. Barack Obama talks down to black people again. So guess what? This all had an effect on him, and he didn't go there. And when he did go there... Well, he wasn't this unifier. He wasn't someone who was saying things that couldn't be said by others or wouldn't be said. He just adopted whatever the far left was saying, and he repeated it from the White House.
2: You know, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. I think it's fair to say, number one, any of us would be pretty angry. Number two, that the Cambridge police uh, acted stupidly in arresting somebody when there was already proof that they were in their own home. In too many communities around the country, a gulf of mistrust exists between local residents and law enforcement. Too many young men of color feel targeted by law enforcement, guilty of walking while black or driving while black, judged by stereotypes that fuel fear and resentment and hopelessness.
1: This was the, um, the style of his rhetoric. It was not what he was saying back in 2008. It's what the far left wanted to hear. They didn't want these conservative values or a conservative approach. So he only went so far when he was in the White House on race issues. But now that he's out of the White House and we have an empty shell of a man in the White House, Joe Biden, who is very, very controllable. Well, Barack Obama can now get all kinds of things done. And I'm sorry, but when he said this to Stephen Colbert, I don't think it was a joke. (laughs) I think he might have been bragging about the arrangement.
2: If I could make an arrangement where um, I had a stand-in, a a front man or front woman, and and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats Mm -hmm. looking through the stuff, and then I could sort of deliver the lines, but somebody else was... Uh, doing all the talking and ceremony, Uh, I'd be fine with that.
1: All right, so Barack Obama was president for eight years, and during those eight years, I don't remember us talking much about slavery to you. Now it's all that anyone really talks about, slavery and reparations. Well, even Barack Obama's talking about it, and, um, well, he uh, mentioned this to Bruce Springsteen on a podcast. So if you ask me, theoretically... Are
2: reparations justified? The answer is yes. What I saw during my presidency was that the politics of white resistance and resentment, the talk of welfare queens and the talk of the undeserving poor and the backlash against affirmative action, all that. Made the prospect of actually proposing any kind of coherent, meaningful reparations program struck me as politically not only a non starter, but potentially
1: counterproductive. All right. Potentially counterproductive. White resentment, a white backlash, all those nasty things about white people just weren't ready to talk about reparations. But now that he's out of power or actually in power in a weird way, everyone's talking about reparations. And he got Joe Biden to get on board. Biden back studying reparations as Congress considers a bill. This is radically different from the guy Barack Obama told us he was back when we first met him.
2: There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. There is not a black America and a white America and Latino America and Asian America. There's the United States of America.
1: That was a long time ago, huh? A long time ago, indeed. Interesting that that guy is now pushing reparations and this guy is actually going to make it happen in his dreams, perhaps, but it looks like it could actually come true.
0: It's a long way until November. We got more questions. You
3: got more questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether
4: you're for me or Trump,
3: and you ain't black.
1: We really are going backwards, aren't we? Look, here's the thing about race, in my opinion, it doesn't bring people together even of the same race, okay? It's not a unifying force. People are very, very different. Now, Barack Obama tried to uh, bond with some people of color this past weekend, a group in Chicago that he pays some attention to over the years. Take a look at this, do you think they have a common bond of any type whatsoever?
2: When we came here, three of the guys here I shared with them was, and and I think this surprised some of the the violence and drugs and and some of the issues that I was going through were similar. And I think that, uh, um, and and I think that, uh, Mm. you know, one of the things we all, boys and young men of color, many of whom grow up without fathers, don't have as many resources around them. It becomes that much more critical, you know? These are the kinds of pressures I'm dealing with That's something that I went through also. You know, I'm struggling with this too. You know, this is something I'm confused about. Uh,
1: We compressed that. He went on and on for about four minutes talking about himself, saying not too much, and not connecting with anybody in that room. Um, I wish he had mentioned faith because I really think that that might have been something that could have brought people together. But our race just isn't enough. It doesn't do it. For instance, George Will. If George Will and I ever met, uh, I don't think we would bond over much. Uh, He happens to be white and I'm white, but I think that is uh, the last. We don't have anything else in common. I mean, George Will and I are never going to be friends. Uh, That's that. And I can live with that. Um, Hey, how about Machine Gun Kelly, that rap guy? Mm Um, what am I going to talk about with music? I like um, Southern Rock, 38 Special, and uh, the late Charlie Daniels Band. Do you think he's going to be into that? No. Are we going to start talking about our white skin? No. It doesn't work that way. And too often that's the way um, the liberal media thinks it should, but it doesn't. Does that make sense? I hope so. I know it's a little bit out there. Stay with us. We're going to see how Fox has let down conservatives once again.
0: Checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson. You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at slash podcast. Growing up in Mao's China, all this seemed
5: very familiar. The uh, communist regime used the same critical theory to divide people, the only difference is they use class instead of race. During the Cultural Revolution, I witnessed students and teachers turn against each other. We changed school names to be politically correct. Um, We were taught to denounce our heritage. The Red Guards destroyed anything that is not communist. Old statues, books, and anything else. We are also encouraged to report on each other just like the uh, student equity ambassador program, and the bias reporting system. This is indeed American version of the Chinese communist, the Chinese cultural revolution. The critical race theory has its roots in cultural Marxism. It should have no place in our schools.
1: Have you noticed something? There is a lot of pushback. This critical race theory, people have had enough with this indoctrination of children. It's a corrupt theory that is dividing us and, in my opinion, has no place in the schools. And I have a feeling my next guests agree. We are joined by Senator James Langford, Republican of Oklahoma, from the Senate Homeland Security Committee, uh, critical race theory banned in Oklahoma. Good for you, sir. And Ian Pryor, executive director of Fight for Schools. It's an organization fighting crit- critical race theory. Uh, he also worked for the Trump administration in the Department of Justice, Welcome to you both. And Senator Lankford, first to you. There does seem to be a groundswell happening. And quite frankly, I'm relieved.
4: I'm relieved. We knew common sense was out there, but it's good to be able to hear so many parents and so many individuals stepping up and saying, I just want everyone to be treated the same. I'm not wanting special privileges for anyone. I'm not asking for anything. I'm asking for everyone to be treated equally in the process and to not to be able to label, as my friend Tim Scott said, to say, one group is... Uh, Inferior and another group is an impressor. Both of those terms uh, are actually demeaning terms. And uh, we just don't have any place for that in America. Uh, So, just as a simple fact to be able to say what my state has done to say we're not going to teach critical race theory in our schools, we're going to treat everyone equal. Shouldn't be a shocking issue, but it's great to see so many parents and others speaking out in a great way.
1: It was banned in Oklahoma back on May 7th. Was it a hard sell? Was it hard to pull off? And very few states. Only the states in red have banned critical race theory. How did you do it in Oklahoma?
4: So our state legislature and our governor actually pulled together to be able to do it to try to make it very clear. So I'm on the federal side, so I wasn't engaged in that. That was a state issue. But they made very clear with that process they weren't trying to ban the teaching of slavery, the teaching of Jim Crow laws. We should teach our history. We should have great conversation about our history and to be able to talk about what we've come from, uh, that helps point us towards what we're headed to. But critical race theory seeks to demolish our history and to be able to rewrite everything and to be able to label current people as personally responsible for something that happened 200, 400 years ago, 100 years ago. Uh, We learn from our history, but we don't impose on people of current day actions from our history.
1: Ian, do you sense the momentum? You're fighting this fight every day. You're in the middle Of it, Uh, what's happening on the ground? From my perspective, it looks like things are starting to really happen.
3: Yeah, they really are. I mean, there's been a a ton of momentum over the past several months. But every every two weeks, there's a a school board meeting, and it seems like a new hero is born. Uh, You know, you heard from one of the parents just now before we came in. There was a, a few more parents that gave rousing speeches. There's about 120 parents uh, that went to the school board meeting to speak up against all of this. I'd say about 105 were on our side and maybe 15 or so were, were on the other side. And we actually just um, commissioned the poll in Loudoun County in northern uh, Virginia to test where critical race theory is. And what we found is that the majority of, of parents do not want critical race theory in schools. It's overwhelming, both among Republicans and independents. And then when you get to Democrats, you know, most Democrats... They they support it, but there's still a significant chunk of Democrats that are opposed to putting this stuff into school. So, you know, what we're doing in Loudoun County is we're seeking to recall six school board members. They were part, part of a private Facebook group that were attacking parents. That wanted that were showing up at school board meetings and wanting to open schools or speaking out against critical race theory. We've made massive progress in that. We're at 60 percent of what we need to get for one of those school board members, who's probably the worst of the bunch. And every weekend, we've got an army of moms out there collecting signatures, hosting events. It is truly a grassroots movement that has risen from parents, just you know, being in a pandemic and seeing what their kids are actually learning.
1: And from, you mentioned Republicans, independents, some Democrats, and all ethnicities. We had that beautiful Asian woman speak, and here's uh, Keisha King speaking out against critical race theory in Duval County, Duval County, Florida.
5: Just coming off of May 31st, marking the 100 years of the Tulsa riots, it is sad that we are even contemplating something like critical race theory, where children will be separated by their skin color and deemed permanently oppressors or oppressed in 2021. That is not teaching the truth, unless you believe that whites are better than blacks. CRT is not racial sensitivity, or simply teaching unfavorable American history, or teaching Jim Crow history. CRT is deeper and more dangerous than that. CRT, in its outworking today, is a teaching that there is a hierarchy in society where white, male, heterosexual, able-bodied people are deemed the oppressor, and anyone else outside of that uh, status is oppressed. That's why we see corporations like Coca-Cola asking their employees to be less white, which is ridiculous. I don't know about you, but telling my child or any child that they are in a permanent oppressed uh, status in America because they are black is racist. And saying that white people are automatically above me, my children, or any child is racist as well. Our ancestors, white, black, and others, hung, bled, and died right alongside each other to push America towards that more perfect union. If this continues, we will look back and be responsible for the dismantling of the greatest country in the world by reverting to teaching hate and that race is a determining factor on where your destiny lies. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am.
1: You know, when people speak from the heart, um, they're better than um, a lot of U.S. senators or presidents. Uh, Senator Lankford, you you work with some great orders, professional politicians, but these women and men... They are so powerful. I mean, it's just wonderful to watch.
4: It's terrific to be able to watch because they're actually sharing, please don't put my child down. Please don't put my child in a box. Please don't say that this group is this, this group is this simply because of their skin color. We used to in America talk openly about let's try to get past looking at skin color and make sure that everyone is treated with equal opportunity. Critical race theory pulls it up and says everything's oppressive, everything's systemic racism, everything's wrong, and we identify people solely based on their skin color. And it's remarkable to me how many white liberals that I run into that are advocates for critical race theory. And I think, don't don't you realize that you are self-identifying yourself as an oppressor simply based on your skin color. It doesn't matter. It's not like they're saying Republicans are oppressors uh, because of their skin color. Everyone who is white is an oppressor. Everyone who is not this. So let's actually get back to engage what we had with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. judging by the content of their character, not the color of their skin.
1: Ian Pryor, what's next after Loudoun County, which I'm a little bit surprised. To me, that was uh, far enough away from the Beltway where it would be uh, not into this. But where is the next uh, front in this battle?
3: Well, you know, actually, after this, I'm going to be getting on a call with a bunch of parents and moms from different counties in Virginia. So, you know, we're starting to, to build it out in Virginia. But, I mean, for us, what we really want is a model for the rest of the country to be able to follow. If we're able to be successful with getting this out of our schools, um, you know, taking out issues that really should not be taught to second graders, third graders, fourth graders, then we can build the model so that other places can do the exact same thing. And, you know, I've had hundreds of emails from parents across the country asking Hmm. how can we do what you do now you know part of it it really is investigate communicate and activate i mean those are the three things that i think really are driving us is the investigation through FOIA's communicating to the media, communicating to, you know, moms across, dads across the county, and then activating, going out there and doing something about it. And that's what our, our recall is all about.
1: I'm so glad you gentlemen are both involved in this fight. I have to bring up another matter. Senator Langford, you, uh, you were querying Secretary Becerra today from Health and Human Services, and it was pretty wild. Uh, I thought a mother was a mother was a mother, but that's not the term we're using. Take a look at this.
4: Can you help me get a good definition of birthing people? Well, I'll I'll check on the language there, but I think if we're talking about those who give birth, I think we're talking about,
1: uh, I I don't know how else to explain it to you. All right, so in the budget, the fiscal year 2022 budget, they don't have the word uh, mother. When it comes to maternal health guidance, they actually use this birthing people. Uh, This this is the latest politically correct weirdo um, term of choice because they want to take gender out of everything. Uh, Senator, this is a this this is a head scratcher.
4: Just when I thought it couldn't get any weirder in Washington DC and any weirder on the left, they now drop mother and motherhood and just shift to birthing people. I, I can't even begin to process how bizarre that really is and how insulting that is. And, and Avier Becerra went on to say, well, it, it's a function. We're describing people by function. Well, hello, you're, that, that's a woman, that's a mother, not a birthing person, uh, that's demeaning. And I would tell you all the moms that work in my office Uh, They were stunned by it and completely offended by just the most basic statement of just just let someone be called a mom. I asked Javier Becerra if he expected the Hallmark cards to come out next May uh, saying happy birthing person day uh, for next year or what that might be. But it's just bizarre.
1: You know, even liberals. I mean, he seemed like he was having a hard time keeping a straight face like he's got to stick to the party line. But deep down, he knows this is insane or maybe he doesn't.
4: I, I hope he does, because it, it's absolutely irrational and insane.
1: All right. Well, we got to leave it there. Senator Langford. thank you very, very much. Ian Pryor, executive director of Fight for Schools. All the best, sir, to be continued.
4: Thank you very much.
1: You
3: bet.
4: We'll you be bet. Right thank you. Thank you. News breaks every minute, every day. You need the app, the Newsmax app. Find it free on your smartphone store. Then watch us anytime, anywhere.
0: All I can say is that, that the fake th- news just doesn't, doesn't get, it get it
1: to do that. that. All right, folks. We know that big tech leans left, right? Pretty obvious. But Fox News apparently leans left as well. Let's start with big tech. Zuckerberg, Facebook. Everybody knows they are a left-leaning organization. They didn't like Trump. They did little things and big things to make sure that Biden prevailed, at least in the online world. How about Jack Dorsey? He runs Twitter. Uh, this guy is definitely to the left. And I'll give this to Jack. He admits it. He admits it publicly.
4: We need to constantly show that we are not adding our own bias, which I fully admit is, is, left, is, is more left-leaning Uh, And I think it's important to articulate our bias and to and to and to share with share it with people so that people understand us.
1: All right. Well, look, he admits it. Hey, but we got Newsmax and we've got Fox News, right? Conservatives, Fox, they're not going to let us down except for when they did on election
0: night. The Fox News decision desk is calling Arizona for Joe Biden that is a big get for the biden campaign
1: now everybody was really confused by this this was way way premature too early to make such a call and that one call may have influenced history why do they call it because the data wasn't there the decision desk said hey you guys on the anchor desk say this well could they have been receiving pressure from the executive suite James Murdoch, the Murdochs, they own Fox News, News Corp. Take a look at this. As Fox descended into madness, internal strife, James Murdoch went all in in bankrolling Democrats. James Murdoch, the son of Rupert, they were bankrolling Democrats, all kinds of money going to Democrats. And specifically, it looks like they wanted Trump out. Take a look at this. Newsmax reports that Fox News Air spent $20 million opposing Trump. Can you imagine if big tech, uh, Facebook or Twitter spent that kind of money trying to beat Biden? Never, never. All right. How about this? Who likes the bachelor? I watched the first couple of seasons, not so much anymore, but Chris Harrison is officially off that show. The bachelor after a racial reckoning. Now, what is that racial reckoning? Chris Harrison uh, defended a girl who wore a dress to a party seven years ago. That's uh, Rachel on the right. She wore a dress. That is the dress. And somebody was offended by that dress. It was a southern theme party, and that somehow triggered somebody. And anyway, uh, here's Chris Harrison defending this girl, saying that maybe she made a mistake, but maybe she didn't, and maybe it's no big deal. Is it a good look in 2018, or is it not a good look in 2021?
6: It's because not a, a big good difference. look yeah. ever because she's
3: celebrating well, the old South. She's cel- if I went to that party, what would I represent I, at that party?
1: I don't I don't disagree with you. You're you're 100 percent right in 2021. That was not the case in 2018. And again, I'm not defending Rachel. I just know that I don't know. Fifty million people did that in 2018. So he got into what I would say was a mm, friendly conversation, a friendly argument at worst. With a young woman of color a young woman of color is about the most important powerful force in america right now and her feelings were hurt
5: during that conversation he talked over me and at me during that conversation his privilege was on display he never gave me room to talk and he never gave me room to share my perspective he wasn't trying to hear it he was just trying to be heard
1: Wow. Well, he was the one being interviewed, and she was interviewing him, and that's kind of the way it's supposed to work, but whatever. Her feelings were, were hurt. So Chris had to go on a mega apology tour, not only for that, but for defending the dress and for everything else that has happened in the world. It all comes down to some game show host. I made a mistake, and I own that. <sighs> Racism, oppression, these are big dynamic problems, and they take serious work, and I am committed to that work. All right, again, a little much, right? I don't think he had to abjectly apologize like that. He didn't run over a kid uh, while he was drinking and driving, but that's how he's acting. And the reaction from the guy who was interviewing him, Michael Strahan, the former football hero, he's not having any of this. I can't believe he didn't cut him a little bit of slack.
2: His his apology is his apology, but it felt like I got nothing more than a surface response on any of this.
1: I Mind reader here? I mean, what's the deal? How about some forgiveness, huh? Guy's suffering. Strahan, by the way, has 18 different shows. That guy had one. Strahan has a special warehouse garage where he keeps like 75 of his favorite cars. Ridiculous. Don't give in to the mob because (laughs) they won't accept it. They won't accept it. All right. Oh uh hunter biden let's talk about him for a moment you know he uh, got caught using the n-word that's pretty wild this guy's using the n-word no one's talking about it chris harrison defends some girl in a dress and he's out of a job but that's where we are uh in text messages to his lawyer uh he's throwing around the n-word like it's a punctuation because n-word you better not be charging me hennessy rates you know kind of this junk this is bad stuff And his father is the guy who's lecturing the country about race. Uh, True dat, N-word. This is uh, pretty ugly stuff. But he's a Democrat. He's the son of Joe, and he has Democrat immunity. You know, the Trump kids are actually great kids. I know some of them. Uh, They're very good at their jobs, very well educated. And, well, they never got into any trouble, real trouble. Um, Yes, they got harassed. Um, And some of that harassment was truly vile, truly despicable. Samantha B, comedian. You could say this kind of stuff about the Trump children and uh, get rewarded. Get accolades from the fake news.
3: You know, Ivanka, that's a beautiful photo of you and your child. But let me just say, one mother to another, do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless c He listens to you something tight and low-cut and tell your father to f***ing stop it.
1: Imagine if someone used that word, which I'm not going to repeat about somebody in the Biden family. Imagine if somebody in the Trump family used the N-word. This is a really weird, sick media culture we have right now. And now this. Black lives do matter, not the way the Black Lives Matter movement says. They only care when a black life is taken by a white cop. No, all lives matter. Black lives matter, including the life of 55-year-old Shirley Crawley, shot and killed Tuesday in the middle of the day in Nashville, Tennessee. She was stopped at a red light on the way to the supermarket when she was caught in the crossfire of a shootout. A group of teens in several different cars pulled up next to and behind her And then they engaged in their own gunfight. Three of the teenagers, 15, 17, and 18, were also wounded by the gunfire. They've all been questioned, but so far no arrests. Um, Shirley's niece is devastated, said she wants to make sure her aunt's life mattered.
4: Shirley was an aunt. She was a sister. She was a cousin. And she was my best friend. Her life mattered, and I want people to know she mattered. She mattered to me. She mattered to Tennessee. She loved it. When we moved moved to this town, that's all she talked about was Tennessee, Nashville. We love this town. And uh, I want justice for my cousin.
1: Cousin, cousin. Well, Shirley Crawley is the fifth person to die in gun violence in Nashville in just five days. Shirley Crawley, so sorry. We'll be right back. So Nicaragua was like the Cold War battlefield in the 1980s. Nicaragua, the Sandinistas. That was a big topic of national conversation. And then people stopped talking about it. But did you know Daniel Ortega, uh, who I believe is a socialist slash communist, is actually in charge of Nicaragua right now. And uh, he's been feeling his oats. He's been rounding up his political enemies. Uh, National police arresting Ortega's political challengers. The Sandinistas very much in control or want to remain that way, at least. You know who fought the Sandinistas um, uh, during the Cold War? Our next guest, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, USMC, retired, uh, very famously uh, working for the Reagan administration. Sir, welcome back. How are you? I'm glad to be
7: back with you, Greg. You know, looking at those pictures... Everybody has aged to include me, and so you know the Sandinistas took over in '79 under under Jimmy Carter. Ronald Reagan famously pointed out that 22 countries had gone communist or become dictatorships uh, during his predecessor's administration. And so what you've got is a return of what was going on back then. I wonder why this is this is Carter too that's uh, now running the uh, government of the United States. And I would point out to you that they're supposed to have a presidential election in November. I would point out to you that we achieved our goal. The administration wanted a democratic election and by golly, we got one. Violeta Chamorro got elected. Unfortunately, the Ortegas were still around and the Sandinistas are still around. And now because this election is coming up in the fall, You've got a dictatorship that is trying to hang on to power, just like in North Korea, just like in Iran. It's just a different religion. Mm. And the idea of this Chinese being in there working with them because the Soviet Union no longer exists and the Russians can't afford it. The Cubans are on their, be- on their butts anyway. The bottom line of it is they're now going to the Chinese. We're taking advantage of the situation and assuring Daniel Ortega he will remain in power. That's what's happening.
1: So Short and sweet. Um, Back in the 80s, we were very concerned about the uh, communism being exported from country to country, moving closer to America. We all seem to know, even globally, that communism doesn't work. It doesn't seem to have the appeal that it once had. Or am I wrong here? Is there really a danger neighboring countries to Nicaragua uh, where, you know, like uh, the Red Curtain or the domino theory could be in effect?
7: Well, look, uh, we're already seeing increasing numbers of refugees from Nicaragua we're seeing them in the in the border not just and it's not just Guatemala and Honduras and El Salvador and Mexico there's also Nicaraguans fleeing once again because the economy's on its backside and the chinese are now moving in to replace what were the russians or the soviets and the cubans and what you're looking at is a dictatorship that is trying to preserve its its family legacy and that's the that's the kind of thing that you have in these autocratic regimes like Pyongyang, North Korea, as just as you do in Tehran, Iran. You've got dictatorships that are abusing their people and turning basically to police
1: brutality to round up those who are opposed to them. And I get the sense, the strong sense, that Joe Biden doesn't intend to do too much about this. No,
7: well, I'd I'd be stunned quite frankly, if they did anything right in foreign policy, because they sure haven't done anything right in foreign policy yet. You and I have talked about some of those measures and the the failures nonstop.
1: Guns in the Biden administration, the AR-15, perhaps the most popular rifle uh, in the world. David Chipman, uh, now nominated. I'm not sure if he's been confirmed to be the new ATF director. Uh, Said some very curious things. How concerned are you about where gun policy is heading in this country? Nobody knows the gun issue better than you.
7: Well look, for those of us who like the Second Amendment, right, confirming David Chipman to lead the ATF is like asking a vampire to guide guard the local blood bank. And so we'd have help on the way. On the 4th of June, Judge Judge Roger T. Benitez, appointed to the Federal Bench in Southern the Southern District of California by President George W. Bush, offered hope for common sense. He wrote a 94-page opinion. I read the whole thing. Miller versus Bonte is the name of the case. Judge Benitez ruled, and I quote, the state of California makes it a crime to have an AR-15 type rifle. Therefore, this court declares the California statutes to be unconstitutional. And I will tell you, it's going to take a long time for it to take effect because the Supreme Court is going to get this case, hopefully before they pack the Supreme Court from this administration. And Chipman? And, the, the majority, no, there's, and, and uh, Chipman's not a to my knowledge, unless he was confirmed in the last few minutes, has not been confirmed, hopefully the Senate will do the right thing and say, thank you anyway.
1: Right. No, 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 no. It's not been confirmed. And there is real movement, real discussion uh, ways to uh, prevent this from happening. Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, so good to see you again, to be continued, sir. Thank you. Semper Fi, buddy. Pray for our country. Hoorah. Yes, we need it big time. Uh, Stinchfield is standing by. Hello, Stinch. How are you, sir?
0: Hey, I'm doing great, Greg. You know, you're talking about guns. There is an explosion of violence on the streets in America, and I'm not talking about gang violence, which we're certainly seeing, but these random acts of violence against otherwise innocent people. It is frightening. We're going to dig into what's behind those attacks and, of course, what you can do to protect yourself from them as well on the program tonight, Greg.
1: Awesome. Grand Stinchfield, keep it up. Great stuff on your show at 8 o'clock Eastern. We'll be right back. Well, clearing rioters out of a public place was considered an atrocity by the fake news that Trump engineered for a photo op. Now we know, courtesy of the United States Department of Interior, that that was all a lie. They put out a very interesting report. But for Donald Trump and those who wanted them reelected, the damage probably has already been done. Dick Morris joins us, host of Dick Morris Democracy, right here on Newsmax. And also Kelly Hyman, Democratic strategist and attorney. Welcome to you both. Dick, I remember this uh, so well. We all do. And uh, it was a thousand percent wrong, it seems now.
8: Yeah, completely. And it's one of those whoops, sorry. Uh, the first whoops, sorry, was the charge of Russian collusion. Uh, the next one was the, that, you, that he had pressured Ukraine to dig up dirt on Biden. And it turned out everything he pressured them to dig up happened and was revealed that Biden did it. Uh, Then there was the January 6th riot, where, allegedly, a police officer was killed by the mob. And, in fact, he died of natural causes. Uh, And and then, of course, the big one, the Wuhan lab, where they said he was kind of crazy in conspiracy theory and flipping out. And, in fact, it turns out that he was completely accurate, that this was a leak by the lab. Whether it was deliberate or not, we don't know yet. And uh, the what we're seeing here is the news media fabricating stories, piling on fictitious information, disinformation in modern lingo. And then we're sorry, but the election's over.
1: Yeah. And uh, we're left with the results and everybody can see even folks on the left. I believe the complete unfairness, the difference in tone when it comes to Joe Biden, certainly not the same level of scrutiny and skepticism. Kelly Hyman, your thoughts, please.
6: Well, we have to take the report in context, and we have to remember that they were looking specifically at the park police. There were other police there and other administrations there as well. So it did exonerate the other police that were there, the D.C. police, that they say in the report used tear gas or also using other police using bullets on the people. So I disagree. Yes, it did say that the park police exonerated them, but not the other people that were there.
1: Well, the thing is, the Park Police reports to the federal government as part of the federal government. The D.C. police, I believe, reports to Mayor Bowser, and that's an entirely different issue. And you know how it was portrayed, that this was Donald Trump personally pulling the strings because he wanted that moment in front of the church with the Bible, which now we know is... uh, You know, everything they said about this guy was a lie. And even, you know what, Dick, if you don't mind, that general uh, who apologized profusely for making the walk across the street. Remember that, General Milley? That's when I really think that the deep state, that he was somehow in, in, in line with the deep state, that there was something much deeper and more sinister here.
8: Well, the background of that event is interesting. I spoke to the president about five times that day, and my wife Eileen did as well. Uh, He had just delivered a speech at NASA that was a glorious, wonderful speech, where he spoke about healing America. He spoke feelingly about what had happened to George Floyd, and he spoke about the need for reform, no chokeholds, and a whole lot of stuff like that. And it was at NASA ceremony, and the media completely ignored it, never mentioned a word about the speech. So I said, well, at this, uh, at this event that's coming up, go into the Rose Garden and repeat what you said at the NASA speech. Um, oddly enough, uh, Pence was in the room, and uh, Trump said, Mike Pence here is agreeing with you. And then he went to the Rose Garden and did the same thing, another brilliant performance, and then decided, on the spur of the moment, that he would walk across the park to this church. Uh, Obviously, the church had been vandalized by these crazy demonstrators, and he wanted to talk about this historic church being vandalized. And there were demonstrators in the way, and the police uh, cleared them more violently, perhaps, than they needed to. But that's not the lookout of the president of the United States. What was uncovered and unmentioned in the entire story was that twice he went way out of his way to talk feelingly and movingly about the need to reunite America and to make sure the police conduct is reformed. Never covered.
1: Yeah, I don't remember that actually. And I like to think that I have a pretty good memory. So Kelly, you know, how do you think history is going to look back at this time? Do you think it's going to vindicate journalists and journalism because quite frankly, across the board, I think they're doing an abysmal job.
6: Well, I'm a strong advocate for the first amendment. And I believe that the First Amendment is really important, the freedom of speech and freedom of the press. And so we have different views on different policies, different politics, but I think it's important for each one of these views to be discussed and people to talk about the different views. And I I do believe in journalism and I do believe that different voices make a difference.
1: Well, look, I believe in journalism too. Uh, I mean, I believe in freedom of speech, uh, but they're getting it wrong. And they had an agenda, it seems to me, And there's no accountability, no accountability. But to be continued, Kelly, I appreciate it so much, you dropping by. Sorry we're short on time. Kelly Hyman, uh, Democratic strategist and attorney, talk to you again. And, of course, Dick Morris, host of Dick Morris Democracy. Check out DickMorris.com. Be sure to register for that brilliant newsletter and all the other goodies he's got there. We'll be right back.